Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that brilliant detective, Sherlock Holmes. And say, while you lend an ear to the good doctor, you'll get a lot of pleasure out of a glass of rich, ruby-red Petri California port. Just sit back and sip that Petri port leisurely. There's a wine that's just perfect after dinner. A wine that really goes with storytelling and conversation. Petri Port is as rich in flavor as it is in color. And what a flavor. Full, hearty, and delicious. I can't think of a better way to express your hospitality than to offer your friends a glass of good Petri Port. Serve that Petri Port alone or serve it with fruit or nuts or with cake or sandwiches. No matter how you serve it, you can serve that Petri Port proudly. Because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wine. Well, here we are once again keeping our weekly date with Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Come in and join me. As you see, the puppies have been keeping your chair warm for you. Here, <laughs> shove them off. No, nah, Doctor, I don't want to disturb them. They look much too comfortable. I'll sit over here, thanks. There's tobacco in the jar beside you, cigarettes in the box, and some excellent port on the sideboard, so make yourself at home. Thanks, Doctor. Are you all ready with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Yes, Mr. Bartell, though I'm afraid after all these years it's going to be a little hard for me to recapture for you the spirit of the story. Uh, last week you told us that a band of gypsies played a prominent part in the adventure. Yes, they did indeed. And it was amid that colorful atmosphere that my story begins. It was in the autumn of 1890, my old friend Sherlock Holmes had persuaded me to leave the comforts of my domestic fireside for a few days and to accompany him to the tiny village of Bragston on the Marsh, in the heart of the Norfolk Fen district. What took Sherlock Holmes up there, Doctor? I'm afraid that at the time we left London, Mr. Bartell, he concealed his true purpose from me, saying only that he wanted friendly companionship and a strong right arm. Not until later did I learn that he was then on the track of one of the last clues that led to the confining of the Moriarty Gang. But to, to get on with my story. We arrived at Bragston on the Marsh and settled ourselves in the village inn. And after an early dinner, we strolled across the fields to the gypsy fair that was encamped nearby. It was a colourful sight, Mr. Bartell. Naphtha flares lighted a group of tents and caravans dotted round the edge of the marsh. And as gold-earing gypsy girls told fortunes and danced, swarthy gypsy men played on their violins the haunting melodies of their ancestors. We watched the sideshows for a few moments and then strolled towards the center of the gypsy encampment. It seems only like yesterday, Mr. Bartell, as Holmes turned to me and said... Far cry from Baker Street, isn't it, Watson? Yes, indeed. Just the same, Holmes. I'm convinced that you're not here purely for holiday. You're on the trail of, of some criminal. No, chap, I'm on the trail of a clue. A clue, if I find it, 
may lead to uh, the confounding of the Moriarty gang. Holmes, can't you be a little more explicit? After all, I left my wife in my practice without asking any questions. Surely now we're up here, you could let me know what's afoot. Very well, old fellow. I'm searching for a young gypsy by the name of Pyramus Hearn. He disappeared recently from London, and it's vital that I find him. I know that he can give me some essential information on our old enemy, Professor Moriarty. And you're expecting to find the gypsy here? I hope to get news of him, at least. His father, Jasper Hearn, is um, head of this particular encampment. Well, why don't you ask if you can see him? Just what I'm about to do, my dear fellow. Well, here comes the gypsy. Now, I'll ask him. All right. Oh, uh, excuse me. You speak to me, Gorcho? Uh, can you tell me where I may find Mr. Jasper Hearn? What you want with Jasper Hearn? I have a message for his son, Pyramus. That is different. Jasper Hearn stands in the booth yonder. He is the Timberland Club. Thimble Angro, uh, He's a gentleman engaged um, in an interesting exhibition of skill involving three thimbles and a pea. Uh, what our American cousins refer to, I understand, as uh, the old shell game. Let's stroll over there, shall we, old fellow? If you would wish to talk to Jasper, it would be better to wait until he is finished. A Thimble Angro needs all his wits about it. Roger, look at that stunning girl in the tent over there. Who, who, who's she? Her that is penning the rice duckering. That is Lydia. Lydia Pentelangro. Excuse me, I shall tell Jasper to expect you later. I can't understand a word they say, Holmes. Telling the what? <laughs> at last, my dear fellow, you can appreciate how I have felt at times. But at least their words are clear, even if, um, even if the sense is not, uh, to someone who is unfamiliar with the Romany language. I don't know why you keep hinting that I am hard to understand. No one else ever complains of it. In any case, what does penning the thing about mean? Uh, well, if I remember rightly, penning duckerin is telling fortunes. And from the sound of things, Lydia Pentelangro is um, not greatly pleased with the duck and she pen. No more. Lydia can tell no more fortune. Come on, Watson. Let's see what the trouble is. What do you mean? You must finish it. That's it, my dear. If the young lady doesn't want to tell my fortune... Rubbish. You cross her palm with silver. She's taking money under false pretenses. Here, I give you your silver back. Lydia has never taken money under false pretenses, nor has she told the future when she does not wish to. Goodbye to you. The insolence of these gypsies is intolerable. If I had my way, they'd be run out of the county. Now, now, my dear, don't get so excited. The poor girl's probably... Good evening. Uh, Major Treadgold, isn't it? Huh? I don't think I have the pleasure of your... Oh, dear me. It's Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, sir. Well, bless my soul. Haven't seen you since that last meeting of the Geographical Society. Oh, I I'd like you to meet my wife. How do you do, Mrs. Treadgold? How do you do? And this is my friend, Dr. Watson. Uh, how, how do you do? do? And what brings you up to this part of England, uh, Holmes? Are you hot on the trail of some desperate oh, 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 criminal? Oh, dear me, no. Dr. Watson and I are taking a little holiday, and uh, you and your wife? We live here in the manor house. Well, you're very lucky. It's a beautiful part of the country, Mrs. Treadgold. I hate it. I was born and brought up in London. I'm never really happy outside the city. Yes, Oliver, there's not one for the peace of the countryside, I'm afraid. Well, well, perhaps we'll get back there. It's a little difficult these days, you know. We've got the boy to consider. Boy? Your, your son, sir? Uh, my dead brother's son, Doctor. We have no children. My little nephew's only four years old, you see, and I'm his guardian, as well as being executor of his estates up here. You can understand it would be difficult for us to get back to London. It's only difficult because you put the child's happiness before mine, Arthur. Oh, now, now, Olive, you know I have to watch his interest up here. After all, when he comes of age, he'll be one of the richest young men in Norfolk. Yes, and with money that should have come to us. In any case, Arthur, if we do have to live up here, I'd find it more tolerable if you'd keep this gypsy's come off the estate. You seem to have taken a, a violent dislike to the gypsies, Mrs. Tritgold. May I ask why? Oh, they persecute us. They steal our sheep, they break our windows, and just the other day they wantonly led our prize pig into the Bragstone quagmire and let the beast perish. Well, why should they single you out for persecution like this, do you suppose? Oh, I can't imagine. I've always tried to be nice to them. Too nice, Arthur. That's your trouble. Well, I have a very good reason for humoring them, my dear. You see, Holmes, I've always been afraid they may carry this feud so far that they'll even hurt the baby. Uh, Olive, my dear, I, I wonder if you'd go ahead and wait for me in the carriage. It's getting rather chilly. I'll join you in a moment. Very well, Arthur, but don't keep me waiting long. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Good night, Mr. Uh, 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 let's stroll away from the camp, shall we? I've got something very important to tell you. Something I didn't like to say in front of Olive. The gypsies have threatened to kidnap our boy. Uh, how shocking. Uh, what form did their threat take, sir? Uh, this letter. I found it pinned on the frame of my dressing room mirror when I went up after dinner tonight. Let me see it, will you, please? Well, what does it say, Holmes? A Romany rye... A Romany rye... won't take your insults forever, Major and Mrs. High and Mighty. Watch out for the Treadgold air. The Bragstone quagmire would make a nice finishing school for him. Romany Rye? What, what's that mean? Well, it's their own term, meaning gypsy. Mr. Holmes, what shall I do? Uh, Major Treadgold, I... Great heavens! 
That shot just missed me. Where'd the blazes come from? I can't see a soul. Easily have come from behind any one of those caravans ahead of us. If you want any direct evidence, gentlemen, this is it. That is the first open attempt on my life. Holmes, what extraordinary luck for me that you're in the neighborhood. I'll pay you any fee you name to handle this it business. It seems to me that this is a job for the police. I don't want to go to them. Oh, well, why not, sir? Well, I'm afraid that these attacks may stem from some injustice to the gypsies committed by my late brother. If that were so, I wouldn't wish to expose the fact. I want this kept private. What do you say, Mr. Holmes? Very well, sir. I'll accept the case. It shall be kept private, and I promise to do everything in my power to protect the safety of the Treadgold heir. Uh, we are staying at the Rosen Crown in the village. Uh, please get in touch with me if there should be any further developments. The affair seems to be closed down for the night now, Holmes. They're turning up the nap for flares. Yes, let's stroll over to Jasper Hearn's caravan, shall we? He should be free now. Well, if he's head of this tribe, he ought to be able to tell you something about this Treadgold business. Yes. Though I shall first ask him about his son, Pyramus, the man I'm looking for. I think the fact that I know his son will inspire confidence. Here we are. This is the caravan. That girl, Lydia Petrolenga, sitting outside. The one that was telling fortune. Yes. Uh, good evening. Who? What do you want? I wish to speak to Jasper Hearn. He is not here. He's gone to the marshal. Uh, when will he be back? I do not know. You bring trouble to Jasper? No, 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 my dear. This is a personal visit. <laughs> We're not after him for being a thimble engro. Or for uh, penning duckering. Oh, for a gorgeo, you speak a Romany well, brother. Oh, you are a true Lavengro, master of words. Where did you learn it? From Jasper's son, Pyramus. Oh, you know Pyramus, then. <laughs> a fine boy. Oh, sit down on the grass, my friend. You may wait here for Jasper. He will be back soon. Thank you. Is that your violin lying on the steps, young lady? No, that is Jasper's Volshov. Uh, Jasper's person, what nurse that? That is a Romany word for violin. You play, sir? No, no, but my friend does. So? Well, then take it, brother. The stars are bright. The night is warm. Music will be sweet. <laughs> to a Romany Chai, I'm afraid uh, my violin playing will sound rather poor stuff. Play on, brother. Brother, you play well, but Sarasati's Sigourney Weissen is not the true gypsy music. I, I've heard it in London and in Budapest. They call it gypsy. But what can a gorge or know of the true heart of Romany? Wait here. I will get my own violin. Mm, charming girl, charming. But why does she keep on talking about gorgeous? Is that more of their confounded gibberish? A gorgeous old chap is a uh, one they use for anyone who is not a true gypsy. Now I will play for you the real gypsy airs. Thank you. I should appreciate it very much. But uh, before you begin, I wonder if I might ask you a question. A friend of Pyramus may ask me any question. What uh, is it? I observed you telling fortunes earlier on tonight. You refused to tell a certain gentleman's hand and gave money back. Did you know who the gentleman was? No, brother. Nor the noisy woman with him. I refused to pen the docker in because I saw blood and violent death in his hand. Violent death, it is soon to come. Violent death? Good Lord. Uh, Watson, fellow, I want you to do me a favor. Yes, of course I will. Uh, what is I it? I must remain here until Jasper Hearn comes back. I should like you to return to the inn. It's more than possible that we may have news from our, uh, our client before the night is out. I'll be back later. Oh, well, it's yeah. nice of you to give me the best job. Uh, good night, uh, Miss Petrino. Good night. And now, please play for me. A true Romanier. Very well, my friend. Listen. Now you must play, brother. I shall make a true Boshemangra of you. Come, see if you can follow me.
Monsieur, you have taught him well. You have made a true bushman grow of him. <laughs> he is an apt pupil, Jasper. Well, with such a teacher, it's hard to be otherwise, Mr. Hearn. That is, if one has a spark of music in one's soul. Call me Jasper, brother. You have spoken well of my son. You have talked wisely to me of things that I have not understood. Come, we shall drink wine together underneath the stars. I shall get glasses and a flag on. Jasper has taken a great fancy to that. And I to him. He's a fine man. Yes, Lydia? May I read your hand, brother? Oh, yes, of course. A strange hand and a beautiful one. A long lifeline and yet I see sudden death and violence surrounding you. Now, at this moment. And in the future I see a journey for you across the seas within a year. Beware of water that runs in the mountains. Near death will befall you, dear. More travels. More dangers. Oh, you must be careful, brother. Oh. What is it? Our paths are destined to cross but once. We shall not meet after this night. That makes me sad. Oh, but we shall meet again. I shall be here for some days yet. No. It says in your hand that we shall not meet again. And a hand cannot lie. Who is this that comes towards us through the moonlight? My friend, Dr. Watson, I think. Yes. Hello, Watson. What's wrong? Wrong, wrong. Everything's wrong. Mrs. Treadgill's waiting in the carriage. She wants you to come at once. Indeed, why? The child has been kidnapped. Major Treadgold has gone for the police, and Mrs. Treadgold is threatening to rouse the local inhabitants and come out here and burn this camp to the ground if you don't find the you child. You tell Mrs. Treadgold to return home. She can do no good here. But home, Tell her, old chap, that I have the case well in hand. But how can you have? You've been out here all the time playing your violin. Have faith in me, please, old fellow, will you? And deliver the message. Then come back here and join me, and I'll explain everything to you. Very well. I suppose you know what you're up to. Violence and trouble, brother. It is all there in your hand. Well, what must be shall be, and I wouldn't have it otherwise. But for the moment, the sky is starlit, the air is still, and the melody you played haunts me. Let's play it together again, shall we? I should like that. I should like that very much. Dr. Watson will continue his story in just a few seconds, during which time I'd like to talk specifically to the ladies, if I may, and tell you about Petri California Muscatel. Just as Petri California Port has long been known as the wine of gentlemen, Petri Muscatel has been known as the favorite of the ladies. That's because Petri Muscatel is a golden-colored wine that looks like captured sunshine and tastes as... Well, did you ever taste big, plump muscat grapes picked when they're still misty and dew-covered? If you have, you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. The flavor of Petri Muscatel comes right from the very heart of luscious, hand-picked Muscat grapes. You couldn't ask for a more delicious wine than Muscatel. Petri Muscatel. Well, Dr. Watson, I, I must say, this is a strange story you're telling us. You mean to say that the heir to the Treadgold Estates had been kidnapped, and yet Sherlock Holmes paid no yes, attention? Yes, that's what it seemed like, Mr. Bartell. I couldn't understand him. I've never known him to be so indifferent to a case. There he sat until the early hours of the morning as he and that girl scraped away at their violins and never said a word about the kidnapped baby. Finally, as we walked home across the fields a few hours before dawn, his mind seemed to return to the matter at hand. He spoke quietly... And yet there was a note of suppressed excitement in his voice. What, my fellow? You're angry with me, aren't you? No, no, Holmes, I must say, but I, I'm, I'm confused. That girl seems to have bewitched you. Have you forgotten that you accepted the job of guarding the tread gold heir and that the child was kidnapped tonight? No, I'm fully aware of the fact. Holmes, come and stop being so infernally matter-of-fact. What's coming to it? Oh, possibly it's the mood of this mild autumn night. It is indeed a St. Martin summer. <laughs> so much so that I've... Uh... I left my coat and deerstalker cap behind me at the encampment. Let's go back, shall we? And incidentally, when we get there, I can set your mind at rest by showing you the kidnapped child. You mean you know where it is? Certainly. It's uh, in the camp. Then the gypsies did steal it. No, my dear fellow. I did. What? This is one of those occasions when you absolutely infuriate me, Holmes. If you must keep me up half the night while you have a fitting concert with a gypsy girl, at least of all you can do is tell me what's going on. You, you stole the child yourself. 
In heaven's name, why? Because the threatening note to Major Treadgold was obviously a fraud. Oh, why do you say that? You will remember that the letter began, a Romany rye will not take your insults forever. Now, a Romany rye, despite what Major Treadgold said, does not mean a gypsy, but a man who knows about gypsy law. It is a term no true gypsy would apply to himself. He would use the expression Romany child. So it was obvious from the beginning that no gypsy threatened the child. Now, uh, who else had a motive for harming it? Well, Major Treadgold, because he stood to inherit the estate. Yes, or his wife. It's quite obvious she has no liking for our present life, and the child is an obstacle to a new one. With the child kidnapped and later made away with, obviously they both stood to gain a great many of the things they wanted. Yes, sir, you're right. And whoever the culprit is took the precaution of pinning the blame in advance on the unfortunate gypsies by writing the false kidnapping note. Wait a minute, but how about the shot that was fired at us tonight as we walked with Major Treadgold? Probably fired by an accomplice to the plot in order to give authenticity to the supposed danger. And the child is now in the gypsy encampment. Yes, I, um... I promised that I would protect the Treadgold heir, and so I arranged with Jasper Hearn to have the boy kidnapped for his own safety. But if anyone should find the child, they'll say the gypsies deliberately stole him. Oh, I'm quite certain that uh, before that occasion arises, old chap, the criminal will have shown his or her hand. Come on, old fellow. Put your best foot forward. It's a long way back to the camp yet, and it's nearly dawn. You wish to spend the remainder of the night in the encampment? No, thank you, Jasper. I just came back from my cap and coat. It was <laughs> so warm tonight, and I forgot about them, and I started to walk home without them. I will find them for you. Oh, we found this message for you soon after you had left. It was pinned to the door of the caravan. I do not know how it got there. I will search for your coat and cap. Another message? What does it say, Holmes? Never trust Romany Rye. Uh-huh. The same mistake again, Watson. Your plans have been betrayed. For proof, meet me at the Bragstone Quagmire at dawn. It's a trap, Holmes. Obviously. We must spring it with caution. I cannot uh, find your coat or your cap, brother. It has vanished. Vanished? May I speak to Lydia? That is strange thing, too. Lydia has gone also. She's gone. Tell me, Jasper, did she read this note? Yes, she did. She could not help reading it. Then she, too, realized it was a trap. She went out in my coat and dear talking hat... To keep the appointment for me. Holmes, who's come off? Jasper, call out the Romany Childs. There's a devil waiting to be caught in the Braxton Quagmire. Uh, how, how much further to the Quagmire, Jasper? 200 yards. No more. There's Lydia. There she is. And she's dressed in my dear stocking hat and coat, walking into the trap that was set for me. Lydia! Lydia! <laughs> They got her. Look, look. She's stumbled. She's fallen. I'll go to her, Watson. Jasper, get that devil who staged this fiendish plot. I have a score to settle with him. Do not worry, brother. The score will be settled. Follow me, Doctor. Right you are. I'm right behind you. Lydia! Lydia! Sherlock Holmes, I was wrong. We do meet again. Your hand lied to oh, me. Oh, Lydia. You're wounded. What can I do for you? There is nothing you can do, brother. No one can help me now. There is little pain. There is little time. Please, hold my hand. There. Tell me, Lydia, did you see who fired the shot? Yes. It was the man whose fortune I told today. The man with the noisy wife. Major Treadgold! Just when the men will take care of him. <laughs> there is one thing I wish to tell you, brother. Yes? Our short meeting has brought me happiness. I should like to think I can leave you something so that you will not forget me. I shall always remember you, Lydia. Always. You gave your life for mine. There is one thing of mine that I wish you to have. It will remind you of me. What is it? My violin. It brought us together. I should like you to have it, brother. Lydia. <laughs> Do not be sad. It is good. My life for yours. You will give help to many people. It is in your hand. Goodbye. Oshimengro.
Dreadful. Dreadful. The gypsies surrounded Major Treadgold. They forced him back into the Braxton quagmire. I tried to pull him out, but I couldn't single-handed. I'm not sorry, Watson. Jasper, you know that Lydia is dead? Yes, I know it. The gypsies knew it, too. That is why you were a single-handed doctor in your attempts to save the murderer. No Romany child would raise a finger to help him. Yes, I can understand that, but great Scott, man, if you'd seen his face as the quaking mud sucked him under. Lydia's death was less dramatic, but equally moving, I assure you. Sherlock Holmes, I met you less than five hours ago. You have saved my tribe from a devilish plot that would have blackened their names. A plot that would have driven them from the countryside. What can I do in return? Two things. First, uh, tell me where I may reach your son, Pyramus. His address is in this sealed envelope, Rutter. Thank you. What else may I do for you? As Lydia died, she willed one gift for remembrance. And what was that gift, brother? A violin. Of course. Here. Here it is. Huh. She told me I might become a true Boshomengro. Let's see if I can recapture the melody once more. strange story. Very fascinating one. But tell me, do, do you really believe that gypsies can tell your fortune by reading the palm of your hand? Oh, frankly, I don't know, Mr. Bartell. Perhaps they can. Perhaps it's coincidence. And then again, maybe some gypsy women have a heightened sense of intuition. You know, a woman's intuition can be an extraordinary thing. Yeah, so my wife keeps telling me. Uh, of course, I have a kind of intuition myself. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Every time I see a bottle of wine with the name Petri on the label, my intuition tells me I'm going to like it. And I always do, too. Just about tell if ever I saw a man with a one-track mind, you're that man. Thank you, Doctor. As long as my one-track is Petri, I can't miss. Because nobody can miss with Petri wine. What other wine has such tradition, such a story behind it? Petri wine is made by a family. The Petri family. They've owned and operated their own business ever since its inception, back in the 1800s. The Petri family has been making good wine for generations. And they've been handing on down in the family, from father to son, from father to son, the fine art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. And that sure adds up to a lot of experience. You can just bet your last dollar that no matter what kind of wine you want, when you ask for a Petri wine, you're asking for good wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what story are you planning to tell us next week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had in the east end of London. It concerns five nephews, an eccentric will, and a dead man's watch that gave us the clue to murder. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Red Circle. Music is by Dean Fostler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures. They are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. 
the performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his good friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I'd like to tell you about my favorite time of day. It's just before dinner. You know when the family's all sitting around in the living room and wonderful things are cooking in the kitchen? Ah, that's for me. And boy, that's the time for a glass of sherry. Because Petri California sherry really makes waiting for dinner a pleasure. That Petri sherry is the perfect before-dinner wine. Just look at its beautiful amber color. And then taste that wonderful Petri sherry. What a flavor. Petri sherry has a rich, nutty flavor that's right from the heart of sun-ripened grapes. And if you like your sherry dry... You know, not sweet. You want to get Petri Pale Dry Sherry. Or better yet, taste them both. Don't buy one, buy two. Those letters P-E-T-R-I on the label are the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri Sherry is truly good wine. Now it's time to keep the weekly appointment with our good friend, Dr. Watson. How are you this evening, Doctor? I never felt better, thank you, Mr. Bartell. Draw up your usual chair and make yourself comfortable. Thanks. That's it. Oh, I see you've had the old tin dispatch box out again. I suppose you've been going through your notes on tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Yes, Mr. Bartell. I think you'll find it as pretty a little problem as we ever encountered. The story began in 1887. A very busy year for us, my boy. It was the same year that Holmes solved the case of the Amateur Mendicant Society, who held their meetings in a luxuriously furnished vault below a furniture warehouse. Oh, I remember that story, Doctor. And uh, wasn't 87 the year you both escaped from death in the Paradol Chamber? It was indeed. You've got a very good memory, Mr. Bartell. The story I'm going to tell you tonight topped off this unusually exciting year. It was late in October, and the equinoctial gales had set in with exceptional violence. All day the wind had howled and the rain had beaten against the windows of our Baker Street lodgings. Finally, it was uh, nearly midnight, as far as I remember. The storm grew higher and louder, and the wind in the chimney sobbed like a child. Suddenly, much to our surprise, the doorbell jangled, and a few moments later, our midnight visitor stood before us. He was a man of about 45, and as he looked about him anxiously in the glare of the lamp, I could see that his face was pale and that his eyes heavy like those of a man who was weighed down with some great anxiety. And yet when he spoke, his tone was businesslike and almost aggressive. I've come to you for advice, Mr. Holmes. That's easily obtained. And help. That is not always so easy. Help the gentleman off with his coat, will you, Watson? Here you are, sir. Let me me hang it up for you. Thank you, sir. I heard of you, Mr. Holmes, from Major Prendergast. Oh, yes. He said that you could solve anything. I'm afraid he said too much. But you've never been beaten. I've been beaten four times, sir. Three times by men and once by a woman. But supposing you sit down and introduce yourself. Uh, my friend is Watson, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? How do you do, Doctor? My name is Lovelace, Edmund Lovelace. And what brings you to me this hour of the night, Mr. Lovelace? I'm in terrible trouble, Mr. Holmes. You don't know anything about me, but if you'll accept my case, you can save four lives. I wouldn't say that I know nothing about you, sir. No, it's true that I know little beyond the somewhat obvious fact that... Uh, well, you're single, <clears throat> that you keep a dog, but not a manservant. And that you are much preoccupied with your business, which I take to be some form of insurance. Oh, come, come, come. Oh, steady. Now, what is this? Well, I, magic? I'll wager that my friend's right, though. Isn't he, Mr. Lovelace? Perfectly. But I'll be hanged if I can see how he knows it. It's a practical application of logic, sir. 
The briefcase that you carry might at first indicate a barrister or some other professional man, but your brusque, business-like manner counteracts that suggestion. An insurance broker who must visit clients at odd hours is the likeliest man to combine that manner with a briefcase at midnight. But uh, the wife and the manservant and the fact that I'm preoccupied with my business. Uh, your cufflinks don't match, sir. Each is from a different pair. That would suggest preoccupation, and it's a mistake that neither a wife nor a servant would have allowed to pass. Yes, yes but how about the dog? Um... Oh, surely that's obvious. Well, I can't see it. I shall let you ponder on that matter while Mr. Lovelace tells us his problem. Mr. Holmes, are you as interested in preventing a murder as in solving one? Well, naturally, I am, Mr. Lovelace. Even more so. But uh, uh, please tell me your story. I live with four cousins of mine in an old Camberwell. My grandfather left the house and a sizable fortune to the five of us on condition that we lived together and maintained the family unity. It probably would surprise you to know that we've grown to get pretty much on each other's nerves. Well, what happens if one of you dies, Mr. Lovelace? His share is divided among the others, Doctor. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the wonder to me is, sir, that... Uh, not that a murder may take place, but uh, that it has not happened long ago. <laughs> Who's responsible for the administration of the estate? My cousin, Gerald. He's much older than the rest of us, and he's a thoroughly unpleasant, cantankerous man. Yeah. He gets an extra share in the estate as administrator, and in consequence, he doesn't work. We feel, of course, that he lives off us, and we're continually quarrelling with him about it. Well, sounds mm. like a jolly household, I must say. There's going to be trouble, Mr. Holmes, I know it. Gerald hates us, and he's jealous of our share in the estate. You spoke of preventing murder just now. Uh, yet I can see that you've selected your cousin Gerald as the potential murderer. Am I right? Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. But don't think it's personal prejudice that makes me suspect him. I have good reason for doing so. Oh, what reason? This evening, just before dinner, I helped Gerald off with his top coat and went to hang it up for him. As I did so, I heard a strange clink in one of his pockets. I slipped my hand inside it and found a hypodermic syringe and a small pile of liquid. I opened the pile and smelled it. Gentlemen... It reeked of bitter almonds. It's a cyanide, eh? And what did you do? I thought of destroying it, but I realized that that would put him on his guard, so I replaced it in his pocket. Of course, I warned the others. And we decided that I'd come to you. I have your most important client tonight, or I'd have been here earlier. Yes, it seems odd that you didn't come directly to Mr. Holmes as soon as you'd made the discovery, Mr. Lovelace. After all, if a potential murderer is walking about with a pocket full of cyanide, I should have thought that, that itself was more important than business. Well, I... Uh... Yes, I... I suppose it might seem so to you, Doctor. Now, that's the most interesting stick you carry, sir. May I examine it? Of course. Here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now I see how you deduced that Mr. Lovelace had a dog, Holmes. There are the marks of the dog's teeth on the stick. Yes, my dear Watson, but these marks under scrutiny give us even more specific information. He's a large dog. You've had him for some years, Mr. Lovelace, and he's now old and feeble. Well, you're perfectly right, but... I'll be hanged if I can see how you can tell that from looking at a walking stick. <laughs> this stick is covered with teeth marks, therefore it has been carried many times by the dog. Now it's uh, a heavy stick, so only a large dog could have carried it. And the teeth marks also indicate a large jaw. The older marks are deep sunk. Look here. The fresh ones, where the wood has not yet darkened, are shallow. Yes, it's obvious that the jaws are losing their strength. That's very clever of you, Mr. Holmes, but... I don't see what it has to do with the case in hand. Oh, neither do I, Holmes, I must confess. No, surely it tells us that your story, Mr. Lovelace, may bear a less terrifying implication than you think. On the other hand, its implication may be even more terrifying. Oh, it's late at night. I feel that any further delay in this matter would be extremely dangerous. I suggest that we get a cab and come to your house in Camberwell at once. Randolph, I'm glad you're still up. I was able to persuade Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, to come back with me. Gentlemen, this is my cousin, Alice Harley. How do you do? How do you do, Miss Harley? How do you do? And my cousin, Randolph Lovely. How do you do? How do you do, sir? How do you do, Mr. Lovely? I've told him about the whole business, Randolph, so we can all speak perfectly freely. Let's begin by sitting down, shall we? Randolph and I had just finished a little cold supper. We've been to the theatre tonight. Well, Mr. Holmes, I... I suppose Edmund told you about finding the hypodermic syringe. And the cyanide in Gerald's coat pocket. Yes, tonight. indeed. May I ask where your cousin uh, Gerald Lovelace is now? We left the house at seven, but I imagine Gerald went upstairs at eight, as usual. Didn't he, Edmund? On the stroke of eight, Alice. He's very fixed in his habits, Mr. Holmes. He goes up to his room every night at eight. There he reads or works on his accounts and eventually goes to bed any time between ten and one. Well, he might stop. I should like to speak to him a little later. In the meanwhile, may I ask you two young people, tell me quite honestly your feelings about your cousin Gerald? And you might as well be frank. I've kept nothing back. All right. 
Randolph and I hate him. First of all, we're sure he's jealous of our shares in the estate, and and then we... Alice and I want to get married, Mr. Holmes, and Gerald won't hear of it. But you're your cousins, aren't you? Only second cousins, Dr. Watson. Gerald is dreadfully conventional. He's threatened us that if we do get married, he'll go to court and try to have our shares in the estate annulled. And from the way the will is worded, I wouldn't be surprised if he could do it. So you can see why we have no great love for him. Why we're afraid of him. He sounds an extremely unpleasant person to me. You mentioned there were five cousins in the house. Three of you are here. Mr. Gerald Lovelace is upstairs. Who and uh, where is the fifth cousin? The fifth cousin is my brother, Gilly. He's something of a tragedy, I'm afraid. You see, Gilly's 20, but he he never developed mentally beyond the, the age of it. He had a bad fall in the hunting field when he was a kid. He's been like this ever since. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, sir. But he's the dearest, most gentle boy you've ever met. And, incidentally, the one person in this house who doesn't hate Gerald. The poor fellow doesn't understand the conditions of the will, I suppose. No. But if he did, I don't think it'd make any difference. I swear that Gilly loves every living thing, especially Gladstone. Gladstone is the name of his dog. His dog? Yes. The dog may be the key to this whole matter. The dog? What makes you say that, Holmes? When a man brings a quick and painless poison home to a household containing an old and feeble dog, it's more than possible that he has obtained that poison quite legitimately to give the dog a merciful death. To kill Gladstone? Oh, no! After all, Alice, dear, he is old and almost blind But, now. Mr. Holmes, if you think Gerald brought home the poison to put Gladstone out of the way, well, and I admit it sounds perfectly logical, what made you decide to come here tonight? Because I dare not even guess what you may have done by intruding the thought of murder in this situation. Uh, where is your brother, Gilly? In his room upstairs, asleep. I wonder if we might go up to him. I should like to talk to him, if you don't mind. And after that, I... I want a few words with your cousin, Gerald Lovelace. Sleep, Mr. Helms. Yes, with it with a dog in his arm. Hmm. I'm afraid we'll have to waken him. Gilly. Gilly. That's all right, Gladstone. We're not going to hurt him. Gilly. Hmm? Who, who, who is it? Oh. Hello, Alice. Who, who are these men? They've come to take Gladstone away. Oh, no, Gilly. We, we haven't. Oh, of course not, Gilly. We've just come to admire him. Your brother's been telling us what a fine dog he is. Oh, that's different. He... Isn't he beautiful? I... I just had such a wonderful dream about him. Oh, such a wonderful dream. What was it, Gilly? Hmm? Well, he, he was all young again. Just a puppy. He, he was chasing a rabbit across a clifftop. And, and... And I was running with him. Oh, Glaston looked so beautiful. Didn't you, old boy? Of course you did. And... And, you know, the rabbit went down a hole and... And Gladstone went down after him. And I went down after Gladstone. And, and we all had tea with the rabbits. Huh? Funny. We all had little green hats on. Hats with, with feathers. I wanted Gladstone to try one on, but... Well, he wouldn't. So sleepy. Come on, Gladstone. Let's go back to the tea party. Okay. Hmm. His world may be a great deal more pleasant than ours, Watson. That's what I'd like to think, Mr. Holmes. Now I'd like to have a few words with your cousin, Gerald. His room's at the end of this corridor. I'm afraid Gilly wasn't much help to you, Mr. Holmes. On the contrary, young lady. He told me exactly what I wanted to know. Here we are. This is Gerald's room. There's no light under the door. He must have gone to sleep. And I'm afraid we must waken him, too. Hmm. Must be a heavy sleeper. But he isn't. He's a remarkably light one. Come on, let's go in. Strike a match, will you, old fellow? Not sure. The gas mantle's at the head of his bed, Dr. Watson. Yeah. Well, he's lying on the outside of his bed. He must be... There's blood on the pillow. Great Scott Holmes, the back of his skull smashed in. He's been murdered. <gasps> oh, no! Horrible! Yes, Watson, but not by blows on his head. Look here on the table by his bed. Hypodermic syringe and a broken file. Yes, a broken file. Reeking of bitter almonds. Poor devil. Well, I won't pretend I liked him. But what a ghastly way to die. All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword, 
So the scriptures say, Mr. Lovelace. The very suspicion that the killing has brought murder to pass. Well, it's too late to prevent it. Our job now is to find the killer and see that he's brought to justice. Dr. Watson will tell you the rest of his story in just a few seconds. Just time enough for me to tell you that if there's one wine that's perfect for any occasion, it's Petri California Sherry. With a bottle of that rich, amber-colored Petri Sherry on hand, you can make that time before dinner a, a main event. And Petri Sherry is the perfect answer to the question of what to serve when company comes. Serve Petri Sherry alone and let its full, wonderful flavor speak for itself... Or serve Petri with hors d'oeuvres or party sandwiches. And remember, you can serve Petri Sherry proudly because Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wine. Well, Dr. Watson, so you found Gerald Lovelace dead in one of the bedrooms of the house in Camberwell. Uh, what did you do? Send for the police? Not at once, Mr. Bartell. Sherlock Holmes persuaded the remainder of the household to give him the opportunity of examining the scene of the crime carefully before the police were sent for. And so, a few minutes before one o'clock that October night, Holmes and I stood alone in the room of death. Turn the gas a little higher, will you, old chap? You know, Holmes, I think you should have sent for the police right away. In a case like this, Watson, I prefer to be my own police. When I have spun the web, they may take the flies, but not before. What are the results of your medical examination, old chap? Well, it's exactly as you reconstructed it, Holmes. He was first beaten on the head with that poker lying on the floor... Then he had the full file of cyanide injected into his left wrist. Can you estimate the time of death too accurately? No, this room's confoundedly hot. He might have died any time from one to, to five hours ago. Yes. It's now one o'clock, and we know that he was alive at eight. Mr. Edmund Lovelace saw him leave for his room at that hour. Yes, if he was telling the truth. One thing we do know for a fact is that this man was murdered at the exact moment he was going to bed. He's wearing his nightgown and nightcap, but his... Bed has not been slept in. Well, isn't it possible that the murderer might have killed him shortly after eight and then dressed him in his night clothes to confuse us? No, my dear chap. You will notice that the hypodermic needle passed through the sleeve of his nightshirt here. Also, the nightcap is crushed and bloodstained from the blows of the poker. No, Gerald Lovelace had prepared for bed. Yes, look at the glass of water on the night table and the, the prayer book and the watch. Yes, signs of a prosperous and meticulous man. Mm-hmm. Very fine gold watch and in excellent condition. Aha. Uh -huh. There's the answer, Watson. What do you mean, there's the answer, Watson? I just wound this watch one turn and then it was fully wound. That provides us with a time schedule for our murder. Come on. We'll send a servant for the police and while they're on the way, if you'll call everyone together, I should like to put a few more questions to this family. <laughs> Before the police arrive, I should like to hear your statements again very carefully, if you don't mind. <coughs> Mr. Edmund Lovelace, what were your exact movements tonight? I left here shortly before ten. From ten o'clock until the time I came to Baker Street, I was with my client. His name and address, please. <coughs> Derek Waterlow, Nine Onslow Square, South Kensington. Thank you. Make a note of these, will you, Watson? Right, you are home. You, Miss Harley, and you, Mr. Randolph Lovelace. Went to the theatre together. Can any independent witness testify as to your movements? Well, yes, Mr. Holmes. We went with friends, the Grant Moresby's. They live at the Clarendon Hotel off Charing Cross. What time did you leave this house? Well, it, it was about a quarter to eight, wasn't it, Alice? Yes. And after the play, we went to the Café Royale for a little refreshment with our friends and then came back here. I see. And what time did you arrive back at this house? Just a few minutes before midnight. I remember the grandfather clock in the hall striking just as we went into the drawing room. And your brother Gilly, sir. I hate to waken him again. Have you any idea of his movements tonight? Well, he never goes out after dark, Mr. Holmes. Mm -hmm. But I spoke to the cook as we came in tonight. She says that he played cards with her until just after ten o'clock. He was fast asleep when I looked in on him shortly after midnight. Thank you. You've made a note of all these facts, Watson? Yes, Holmes. I got them all down. Good. Then let's be on our way to Baker Street. But the police, Mr. Holmes, they're on their way. I know. Uh, uh, please give them my regards, will you? Apologize for my informality and tell them that I shall have the answer to this matter probably in a little over 24 hours.
here it is well after midnight. You haven't done a thing on the Camberwell case. No, but you have, old chap. You've checked on all the time alibis and found them valid. I'm much obliged to you. Well, Inspector Lestard was here tonight, you know, and he made some pretty caustic remarks, I can tell you. Oh, didn't you inform him that I'll uh, have the answer to the problem before many hours have passed? Uh, but you know, Lestard, he, he wanted action. <laughs> he shall have it. Is the watch still running? Yes, there's another thing. What will Lestard say when he finds that you took the dead man's watch? I've no idea. Oh, why did you take it anyway? You sound sleepy, old chap. I am confoundedly sleepy. Well, why don't you go to bed? Well, what are you going to do? Continue my vigil with my pipe and the watch of a dead man. Watson, Watson, wake up. What time is it? Five o'clock in the morning. Good Lord, what are you doing up at this hour? The watch has just stopped. I'm about to rewind it. What are you rewinding it for, Holmes? You waited over 24 hours for it to unwind. When I know how many turns it takes to wind it fully, I shall have the answer to the whole business. Ten. Eleven. You're being confoundedly mysterious, as usual. Fourteen. Fourteen turns, and the watch is fully wound. Get your clothes on, old chap. Well, where are we going on this hour? To the house in Camberwell. Now I know who murdered Gerald Lovelace. <laughs> Edmund Lovelace, I'm glad you let us in. Please take us up to your young cousin's room at once. Really? What do you want with him? I'll explain in a moment. Please take us up to him. Oh, of course, but what brings you here at this hour of the morning? Mr. Holmes knows who murdered your cousin. Well, I'm glad to hear it. It's more than the police seem to know. They were here half the night cross-examining us. Here we are. I don't think we'll bother to knock. Billy. Billy? I'm awake. We heard you coming up the stairs, didn't we, Gladstone? It's the same man again. You're not going to take Gladstone away, are you? Please don't take him away. Oh, don't worry, Gilly. We're not going to touch him. Oh, that's all right, then. Oh, Gilly. Yes? You really love that dog, don't you? Of course I do. More than anything or, or anybody. I believe you'd even kill a man who tried to hurt Gladstone, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, sir. I would. Gilly! No. Great Scotter. Gilly, I don't think you'd really kill a man. I don't think you could. <laughs> Couldn't I, though? How would you kill him? I'd hit him first. I'd take a poker and hit him in the head so he couldn't fight back. And then I'd take the nasty needle he told me he was going to stick in Gladstone and, and, and I'd fill it full of that water he showed me and I'd stick it in him. That's what I'd do. Then he'd be dead. And, and he couldn't hurt my Glaston anymore. Not ever. <laughs> Let's leave him, shall we? Goodbye, Gilly. Plus dreams. Goodbye, sir. Good old Gladstone. You satisfied, sir? Yes. Poor Gilly. There's no doubt about it, of course. Well, can there be no one who described the murder to him, and yet he's just given... A... An exact description of its method. Well, well, uh, what'll happen to him? They, they won't try him. No, 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 no. A little pressure in the right places and he'll be released to a private nursing home. I'll do everything I can, Mr. Lovelace. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. Well, Holmes, now that we're back in Baker Street and the whole depressing case is finished with... Perhaps you'll tell me how you knew that Billy had committed the murder. Well, consider the uh, time schedules, old fellow. You checked the alibis of the other cousins and found them satisfactory. That meant that um, Alice Harley and uh, Randolph Lovelace could have committed the crime only at midnight. Edmund, only before ten. Gilly, only around eleven. You said that the uh, time of death could have been at any of those hours. Yes, I did. So how did you pin it down to, uh, to eleven? The watch gave me the specific answer. When I picked it up, I unthink unthinkingly wound it. Made one turn and was then fully wound. Now, when does a methodical, precise man like Gerald Lovelace wind his watch? Just he's going to bed. Exactly, old fellow. So that it was obvious that he was killed precisely one watch stem turn before I wound his watch. Now I'm beginning to see daylight, Holmes. 
So you let the watch run down? That's what I did. It took uh, 28 hours, from 1 o'clock the night before last until 5 this morning. Now, how many turns did it take to rewind it? 14, wasn't it? That's right. Therefore, one turn of the watch stem equaled two hours, proving that Gerald Lovelace had been murdered two hours before 1 o'clock at 11 p.m. When Gilly was the only one who could have done it. You know, I still find it hard to believe that boy was capable of such a ghastly crime. He seems so gentle. Oh, he is, he is. Except when his beloved dog's life was at stake, probably out of some mistaken notion of kindness, Gerald Lovelace warned the boy of his intentions regarding the dog. Oh, it's a sad business, Watson, a sad business. I hate to think of that boy spending the rest of his life in a mental home. I have one prayer for his future. What's that, Holm? <clears throat> the dog Gladstone can't live very long. I pray that Gilly does not long outlive him. That was a remarkable bit of deduction on the part of Mr. Holmes. Yes, extremely clever, wasn't it? Of course, if I may say so, I was of some small help myself. Small help? Why, Doctor, you practically solved the case by yourself. Oh, I wouldn't go as far as saying that. But, Doctor, you did check all the alibis, didn't you? Yes, I checked where each suspect was at various times. Yes, you checked time. And what's more important than time? Well, Why, I... Doctor, time is even vitally important when it comes to wine. I was wondering how you were going to bring that in. And one thing we do know, Petri took time to bring you good wine. So nobody can miss with Petri wine. It's just got to be good. You know, you can't be in the wine business as long as the Petri family without really learning all about the fine art of making wine. And don't forget, the Petri family has been making fine wine since way back in the 1800s. So, naturally, they've been able to hand on down from father to son, from father to son, the result of generations of experience at turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. No matter what type of wine you prefer... You'll like it more if it's a Petri wine, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story do you plan to tell us next week? Well, now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a most unusual adventure that Holmes and I had when we were attending a performance at the Opera House in Rome. It concerns a famous singer who lost her voice, an understudy who was nearly lynched, and a murder that baffled the police. I call it the adventure of... The terrifying cat. Well, that's a story we've got to hear. Thank you, Mr. Bartell. And before you go, I want to talk to our friends about their war bonds. You know, during the war, the best investment we could find was the United States bond. And for my money, they're still a great investment. They're called United States savings bonds now, and only the name is changed. Savings bonds are sold in the same denominations and give you all the same advantages. And you can buy savings bonds at the same places at your bank or your post office or through the payroll savings plan. So invest all you can in United States savings bonds because you cannot find a better or a safer investment. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Five Orange Pips. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell and good night for the Petri family. Listen every Monday on most of these same stations o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.